If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with me to John 14. John 14, and we are now six weeks into an eight-week series that has us walking through the I Am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of, of John. Next week, we're going to be able to focus on Jesus as the resurrection and the life. What better time to do that than on Easter Sunday? But this morning, we come to probably the most well-known claim of Jesus at the same time, probably the most attacked claim of the I am statements. And so what John is doing here is John, in, in his gospel, is highlighting seven occasions where Jesus uses the personal name of God, I am, and then attaches an idea to it um, that is pointing people to himself as God. So the whole point of these I am statements is Jesus is saying over and over again, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, in case you're not tracking with me, I'm God. And so this is what Jesus is saying all throughout this gospel. And what we're going to hear today is very reminiscent of what Jesus said in John chapter 10 when Jesus said, I am the door. The main difference is imagery, um, meaning there's, Jesus isn't talking about sheep or about sheepfolds and, and gates, and then the context is different. In John chapter 10, what Jesus is doing is he's going after the hearts of the Pharisees. Even though their hearts are getting more and more hardened, Jesus is still going after their hearts. In John 14, Jesus now goes after the hearts of his disciples. For one chapter earlier, in John 13, Jesus had just told his disciples, first of all, one of you will betray me. Just imagine how that shook them. It would be bad enough to say somebody out there is going to betray me, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, one of you guys will betray me. And then Jesus said at the end of John 13, I'm about to leave. I'm about to depart from you. And just think about this. In a very short time, the world of the 11 remaining disciples, minus Judas, would collapse into a kind of chaos that is beyond belief. I mean, these guys literally left their jobs in order to follow Jesus. In this moment, they have to be thinking, did we make a mistake? Did we mess up? I mean, Matthew has to be thinking in this moment, I left a lucrative tax job where I was getting paid. I was getting paid very well. I walked away from it. And now Jesus is telling us he's out of here. Did we make a mistake? And so Jesus, knowing that the hearts of the disciples are filled with anxiety, knowing that their mind is filled with confusion, what he does is he speaks and gives them comfort upon comfort upon comfort. And this is who our Savior is. He knows that our minds are so prone to confusion. He knows that our hearts are so prone to be filled with anxiety. So what he does is he speaks into those moments, comfort upon comfort upon comfort. This is who he is. And everything we're about to read points to the uniqueness of Jesus. It points to who he is uniquely um, as opposed to everyone else. I love the words of John Stott who says this, one of the most extraordinary things Jesus did in his teaching was to set himself apart from everybody else. He put himself in a moral category in which he was alone. Everybody else was in darkness. He was the light of the world. Everyone else was hungry. He was the bread of life. Everyone else was sinful. He could forgive their sins. And then he says this, these are breathtaking claims. As we said a few weeks ago, listen, our declaration here as a church is we're not just worshiping Jesus. We're worshiping Jesus exclusively. 
This is exclusively um, Jesus. It's exclusively um, this picture of the Word of God. So what we're about to read this morning makes it impossible for us and for those in the world who, who hear this to simply ignore Jesus. For once you hear these claims, there must be a decision concerning him. And have you ever noticed that we live in a world where most people in our world and even some professing Christians um, have tried to reconstruct the road to heaven? Many people in our world are saying things like this. Well, the, the road to heaven, is, according to you guys, is just so narrow. Why don't we take it and make it like a four-lane four highway and invite more people to come and more people will, will, will get there? Oftentimes people ask us, how can you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? How can you make such a statement? It seems so intolerant. It seems so insensitive. Anytime you and I say Jesus is the only way, let me tell you what it is. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard to our culture. They can't stand hearing that. Yet, here's the truth or here's the reality. Is it our claim or is it his? Ultimately, that is the question. Are we claiming this or did Jesus claim this? If we are claiming it, then you could probably question us. We're prone to lie a little bit. We're prone to stretch the truth. We're prone to not get it right. I'm just speaking about you guys. I had not even got into how bad I can be. But, I mean, this is who we are. But this is not our claims. We're talking about the claims of Christ. This is who he is. But we live in a culture where the unspoken rule is that you don't tell people their religion is wrong. Um, if you want to be a, an educated or a civilized person, don't say that anyone else's um, belief system is, is inferior to yours. It's okay for you to be sincere about what you believe. Just don't be so sincere or don't get so excited about what you believe that you try to convert other people. So that's kind of the world that we, we live in. It's okay for you to believe this. Just don't get so excited about it that you tell other people that they need to be excited about it too. So with the world's thoughts pretty well established, I want us to, in this moment, turn our attention to the thoughts, and not just the thoughts, but the, the claims of Jesus concerning himself. And we're going to notice today how he puts himself forward, not only as the hope of the disciples, but he puts himself forward as the only way to God, being the way, the truth, and the life. This is a very familiar passage, I think, to us. It's very well known, but I pray that God would just do something in our hearts and our minds today in a, in a very new way here. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. There's nothing mystical taking place as we stand. We're just honoring God's word. And verse 1 of chapter 14 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So Thomas basically says here, Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> we wish we did, but we don't have a clue what you're talking about. And then Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, we approach you now through your word, through the Spirit. 
thanking you for what you have done for us through your son. God, help us to see this claim today in a fresh and a new way. Help us to not minimize this claim or to hide this claim, but help us to magnify this claim and help us to, to hold it out to a world that needs a Savior. I just speak to our hearts today through your word, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So think about this. When we think about the context of the world that we live in, we are surrounded by people in our context that know about Jesus. So most people in our context know about him. Yesterday, um, Misty and, and Madison took Malachi to an Indian community Easter egg hunt. We're trying to do things to um, just get him connected with his culture. And I wasn't quite sure. I was like, well, let's be careful, you know, what you're going to, that kind of thing. And it ended up being a, a Christian organization. So um, Indian Christian organization where um, they, they proclaimed the gospel. They did the resurrection egg. It was a really, really cool thing amidst other um, people from India that were Hindus and Muslims that were there, and, but they said, hey, this is our party, so we're going to say what we want to. But the, the picture is we live in a culture where people know about, about Jesus, whether it be someone that people admire, whether they admire someone, Jesus is someone they can identify with because he was not free from suffering or, or pain or struggles in this life. Others see him and say that um, he's a man that, that we admire because he was loving and, and caring. We admire because he championed the cause of the poor and the, the outcasts. He engaged and neglected and the weak. He loved his enemies and he taught his followers to do likewise. There's so much about Jesus in our, our culture that, that we say we identify with him and we admire him. We even admire his humility. Who's more humble than, than him? Yet the funny thing is, over and over and over again, Jesus was always talking about himself. Just think about it. Jesus was always saying, I am this. I am that. I can do this. I can do that. If you had someone else in your life that talked about themselves as much as Jesus did, you probably would not define them as being humble. But Jesus was ultimately the ultimate picture of humility yet over and over and over again he pointed people to himself making some pretty extravagant and exclusive claims along the way claims that our world doesn't admire and claims that our world um, just doesn't want to hear so what I want us to do this morning in the short time that we have is just to unpack three amazing truths when it comes to this exclusive and extravagant and amazing claim of Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. And just see how this will hit us today, I pray, in a fresh and a new way. So the first truth is this. In a world with many different ways, Jesus is the way. So in a world with many different ways, Jesus is the way. And I don't know about you, but I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people, whether it be in person or um, and in passing, say things like this. Well, there are many religions in our world, therefore there are many different ways to God. Um, some people call him um, Allah, other people call him Jehovah, other people have many other names for this God, but ultimately there is just one God, regardless of how he is addressed. You ever heard that? Okay, one of us, all right. And, and maybe they go on and say, well, all religions have the same goal. Namely, the goal is to get to God. So 
doesn't matter what your religious system is or your belief system is, as long as a person is sincere, truly believing in their heart what they believe is true, then we will all eventually end up in the same place. Anybody heard that one? We'll all end up in the same place. Some have tried to say it this way, that there is a mountain, and on top of the mountain there's God. And down here um, is, is us, humanity. And I take one way up, you take another way up. In fact, there are thousands of ways that we can get there. But the ultimate reality is that we will all end up in the same place. I mean, what a statement, as if someone has taken all the roads and they have all led to the same reality. But let me say this, and please don't quit now. Please follow with me here. I believe that all ways lead to God. Always lead to God. Now, before you try to vote me out or run me off, let me finish. I don't care if you are a believer, if you're an agnostic, or if you're an atheist. Whatever road you're on will get you to God one day. You will either stand before him as judge, or you will stand before him as father. You will stand before him in a relationship of judgment because you rejected him or you will stand before him in a relationship of father because you came through Jesus. Here's the reality. All ways lead to God, but only one way leads to God, um, a relationship with God the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is this. God is not perched on a mountain somewhere waiting for us maybe some way to find ourselves to him. No. God, if this metaphor of a mountain, let's just continue to use it. God sent his son down from the mountain to us to provide a way back to him. Therefore, Jesus is not just a way to the Father. He is the way. It's long before GPS. Think about this. Long before GPS, long before smartphones, there were times where we would take family trips and we would have this big, huge, humongous roadmap. And somewhere along the way, we would get lost. And we would have to humble ourselves and stop at some country-fied um, gas station and we would have to walk in, and the, the guy behind the counter was named Jim Bob something another. Uh, and we would have to humble ourselves and ask him for directions. And inevitably, he would begin to tell us all kinds of directions that did not make sense to us because it should have already been established that we're not very good with directions. So that should have already been established, but although it's not, so he's telling us you have to go down to Lorraine's um, lawnmower and take a left at her lawnmower. Then you have to pass um, three scarecrows. And then after the scarecrow, you have to come to the pumpkin patch. And all of these things that we're going, are you kidding me? I, I can't possibly get to where you're telling me to go because I have no idea what you're talking about. It's kind of where we are. But just think about what would it be like and let's get past the creepiness of it, but what would it be like if this guy said, I'm not only gonna, I'm not just going to tell you where you're going, I'm going to take you there. Now, that might be a little weird because we're thinking, I don't know this guy's motives. Where is he taking me? Can I trust him? But let's just say he could. Let's just say he could be trusted. What a difference between saying, I'll, I'll tell you where to go, and I'm going to take you there. Let me just say this, in a much greater way, Jesus is not just giving us directions to heaven. He's taking us there. In a much greater way, he's taking us there. He is the way to the Father. Therefore, in the words of Peter, in Acts 4, Peter says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In fact, when you get to the book of Acts, six different times in the book of Acts, Christians are not called Christians, they're called 
people of the way. Six times in the book of Acts, people of the way. People in the way. People following Christ as the way. So what we know is that Jesus is the way from God to man. He's the way from man to God. And we are found in him. So in a, in a world with many different ways, Jesus comes and says, I am the way. The only way to God. Second truth is this. So Jesus says, I'm the way. Then he says, I'm the truth. So in a society that de- denies truth, Jesus is the truth. In a society that denies truth, Jesus is the truth. And the point is this. Do you want to know what God is like? And if you do want to know what God is like, then you look to Jesus. 1 John 5.20 says, The Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. We are in Him who is true. He is the true God and eternal life. So this whole picture here is about truth. It's about what is true. Immanuel Kant, the father of modern philosophy, always said that religions are subjectively helpful, but they are never objectively true. So this is the philosophy of the world, that religion can be helpful for weak people, but it's really not about truth. It's really about helping us cope and get through life. And many people see things this exact same way. Many people see um, religions as all about preference, as if um, it's not about judging between right and wrong. It's kind of like asking people to choose between um, Coke and Pepsi or McDonald's and Burger King or left Twix and right Twix. You know, we, we have to make these choices and um, no choice is really wrong. It just depends on what your preference is. So there's really no bad choice here. And that's how people bring forth this picture of religion and even bring forth this picture of Christianity. The problem is this. Christianity is not based on a preference. Christianity is based on the historical and exclusive claims and life of Jesus Christ. This is the picture of what, where we are. And I know this doesn't make us feel comfortable, especially in the world that we live in, but this is the reality that we have to embrace or we have to deny. Have you ever heard the story of the blind men and the elephant? Anybody ever heard the story, the parable of the blind man and the elephant? It's been told in many different ways, in many different fashions, but what it is, it's an Indian parable that is supposed to help us understand the religious world that we live in. Because nobody's better at helping us understand um, this picture of how to live in a midst of many gods, yet one God, than a people who from them rose um, Hinduism, which has over 300 million gods. So they should be a really good picture, a really good way of helping us kind of embrace this picture. So in this parable, it goes like this. Our quest for truth, or our quest for God, is kind of like three men who fall into a pit that an elephant had previously fallen into. They immediately sense that they are not alone, but they don't know who or what is with them. So one of the blind men grabs the trunk of the elephant and screams, it's a snake. The other blind man, the second blind man, grabs the tusk of the elephant and says, no, it's a spear. The third blind man um, is feeling the side of the elephant and said, no, it's a a wall. No need to, to fear. And the moral of the parable, as it was told, is that no single blind person can grasp the truth of the whole elephant. But if each one of us were to listen to the other, then we would get a full picture of the whole elephant. And so the overall point is that um, is to inform us that God is much bigger than we think he is. 
And um, that, that, that part's true, but let, let me finish, Brother Curtis. Um, so, so God is much bigger than we think he is, but it's impossible for one person or one belief system to truly know who he is. Therefore, we need to be dependent upon, um, we need to lock arms with other religions, and as we lock arms with them, we will come to see um, who truly God is. For instance, if I'm Christian and you're Muslim, it's not I'm right and you're wrong, it's we're right together. So we can hold hands together and worship the same God together and we're going in the same direction is the world um, that, that we're living in and the world that this parable is proclaiming. However, consider um, Leslie Newbiggin's commentary um, on this parable. He was a missionary to India. And it took him two years. He heard this parable over and over and over again as a missionary, and he did not know how to respond to it. And so finally, um, God gave him this, this picture, and he found two points of contention um, with this argument. The first uh, point of contention, he said this, In the story, who is the only person who sees the, the whole elephant? And the answer is the one telling the story. So the one telling the story is saying, listen, think about this. Think about me saying, Guys, you're missing the point. You're seeing a little picture, but there's so much to see, so stop being hypocritical and stop saying that you know all the answers because you don't. There's way more that you don't see. Now, the problem with, with me saying that is I'm making an exclusive claim myself. So I'm saying you're hypocritical because there's way more than you're seeing, but what I'm saying is I see it all. So my claim is just as exclusive as a claim of a Christian who says Jesus is the only way so think, think about that but then the second picture is this what if the elephant spoke and said hey guys i'm an elephant what if and the point is this picture of who we're trying to dissect this picture of who we're trying to know god has spoken he has spoken to us he is not silent in fact he has spoken to us through his son so this God speaks. And as I was sitting, I was thinking about these two pictures, um, these two objections. Another objection came to my mind that um, really should have been the first objection, which is it's easy for us to go, well, we need to, these blind men, what they're seeing, we need to respect that, and we need to um, be tolerant of that. But think about this. They were wrong. They were wrong. The elephant was not a snake. The elephant was not a spear. The elephant was not a, a wall. So the, the point is the world will tell us we need to respect the opinions of other people regardless. It doesn't, it's not a picture of truth. Just respect. Just be tolerant. Be accepting. Be willing to say that they're right. And we step back and go, but they're wrong. They're wrong. Either this is a picture of preference or it's a picture of, of truth. Think about this. All religions can't be right. Just put Islam against Christianity. Christianity, we believe that Jesus went to the cross. Islam doesn't. Those two statements can't be true at the same time. They, they can't. No matter how we, we, we slice it, it just cannot happen. So the ultimate picture here is our eternity is not based on what is palatable, our eternal destiny is not based on what is popular. Our eternal destiny is based on what is true. And what is true is Jesus. Jesus is truth, and truth is a person, and we can know the truth. And according to John 8, 32, if we know the truth, the truth will set us free.
So this picture, so in a world of many different ways, Jesus is the way. In a world, in a society that denies truth, Jesus is truth. And then third, in a climate that devalues life, Jesus is the life. And our culture minimizes life, and Jesus magnifies it. Our culture wants to hang on to temporary life, and Jesus wants to give us abundant, eternal, everlasting life. I wish I had time today to, to talk about this picture of the way our climate and our culture devalues life. But instead, I want us to point us instead to the way that Jesus emphasizes and shows us that he is life. Just think about this. Many people have made extravagant claims throughout history, including many different um, religious teachers. And for all of them, their lives and their deaths has, have marked the end of the story. So think about it. Muhammad died at 62, Confucius at 72, Buddha at 80, even Moses, who was considered to be the, the father of Judaism from, from that standpoint, died at 120 years old. All of these leaders' story ended in death. The question becomes, why? And the answer is quite simple, because they weren't life. They weren't life. Jesus is the eternal one who gives to us eternal life. In fact, in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, it says, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So Jesus is the life that is abundant and that is eternal. Therefore, everything we need is in him, and there's nothing outside of him that we'll ever need. It all points to him. He is the life. And let me lay out one more thing for you and one more thought, and this is going to kind of be a long one. I want to put the verse on the screen just, just to show you this, this one whole verse of John 14, 6. Not only does Jesus say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, Jesus also says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And maybe that declaration strikes you in this moment as not being politically correct. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's not very tolerant. This doesn't sound right. Maybe that hits you and gives you the picture of Jesus as being this brutal gatekeeper who stands at the door and says, you may not enter. No one beyond this point. Maybe that's your thought. And let me say that if that's your thought, if that's kind of where you are, let me, let me say that when Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me, this is not a statement of, of a maniacal rejection of man. This is an invitation to man. Jesus isn't standing in front of the path. Brothers and sisters, he is the path. He isn't saying you can't get through. He's saying you can get through. You can absolutely get through. You can get to the Father through me. The problem is people hear that and they eventually, they uh, or absolutely see Jesus as being the figure that's blocking their way. Why? Because they want their way. They want a different way. Here Jesus is claiming to be the way. No one gets to the Father except through him. He is the path. He is the way, the only way. So then people begin to say this. Well then, why would God only make one way to himself? Surely God could be more creative than that, right? Surely God's more loving than that, right? Why just one way? And I love how one pastor answers this question. He says, when Jesus gives this claim in John 14, this is just one claim in the midst of a very big story. 
In fact, we need to step back and, and broaden the picture. We need to go back to the very beginning. Just imagine, and we're going to say that word imagine a lot because here's the thing that we do. We say, well, God's not very creative. So what we're saying and what we're claiming is that we're way more creative than he is so that we have to be able to put a better plan of salvation together than he does. But let's just imagine that there is a God who exists that is perfectly good, loving, and holy who made everything that we know, creating a world in which all the natural beauty that we behold every day exists. And then imagine that after creating all of that, this creator created man and woman as his prized possession, as reflecting himself. He created them to, to know him, to walk with him, to enjoy him. And after creating them, just imagine that he says, I want you to enjoy me and enjoy my creation forever. And then imagine this creator saying to his creation, if you disobey me, if you turn from me, you will die. I don't want you to die. I want you to live. I don't want you to be cut off from my love. I want you to experience my love. Stay in it. And then imagine one day, for no reason at all, the creation saying, our creator doesn't know what's best for us. In fact, our creator must be withholding something good from us, so they disobey their creator. Then imagine the creator coming to them and saying, I told you that if you disobeyed me, you would die, so you will. But then also imagine in that moment, at that exact moment, God begins to reveal to them a plan that he had in place from the very beginning, a plan that would bring those sinful people back to himself in order to be able to enjoy God forever. It all revolved around a people. The Old Testament calls them Israel. So now imagine this people called Israel and imagine them embracing the power of God, imagine them embracing the privilege of God, but then also imagine, imagine them rejecting the authority of God over and over and over again. Imagine God's people saying to God, we want everything you can give us, we just don't want you. We want everything your power could possibly give to us, we just don't want your authority over us. And then imagine God sending messenger after messenger after messenger to his people, saying, you have turned from me. Turn back to me. Come back to me. You are wandering from me. You are running from me. Come back home. And then imagine God's people taking those messengers and arresting them, persecuting them, and killing them. And then imagine ultimately, after centuries of messengers, imagine the creator committing the ultimate act of condescension and coming to creation himself, taking on human flesh and coming to his creation and loving them, serving them, healing them, teaching them, pointing them to himself. And then imagine that creation taking the creator in the flesh and mocking him and beating him and scourging him and spitting in his face and then nailing him to the cross. And then imagine the creator looking at the creation and saying, 
what you did was no accident. It was planned. And then looking at the creation and saying, and I still want you. I still want you. In fact, he says this, put your trust in me. Believe in my love on display, on that cross. Come to me and you will live forever. And think about this. Just, just think about this for just a second. If all of what I just told you is true, does it make sense for us to say, well, God, you're not very creative? Or to say, well, God, you're not very loving? Does that make sense for us to say that? Would you have chosen this way? Would you have chosen to display your love like this? And when we realize the whole story, here's what we realize. The question is not why is there only one way to God. The question is why is there a way to God at all? That's the question of the Bible. The question of the Bible is not if God is so loving, why is there only one way to him? The question of the Bible is because we're, we're so sinful, how can there be any way to him? And the beautiful picture is that the God of the universe, because of his mercy and his grace, has made a way for us where there was no way. And that way is through Jesus Christ. And the beautiful picture is that Jesus declared himself to be the way just before his journey led him to the cross. He pro proclaimed himself to be the truth just before the lies of evil men nailed him to the cross. And Jesus claimed to be the life just before his dead body was placed in a tomb. The question for us this morning is not, will you just ignore this, Jesus? You can't anymore ignore him. The question for us is, will you deny him? Will you say that there's a better way? Or will you worship him as the way, the truth, and the life? When Jesus says, no man comes to the Father except through me, please hear this. This is not a, this is not a, a cruel claim of a lost soul. This is a loving, gracious invitation of a loving Savior inviting us to come to him. I pray that everyone in this room has had that time in your life where you have heard the invitation of the gracious Savior and you've come to the Father through him. In the words of Thomas A. Kempis, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. Do you know him? Do you know him? I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward at this time. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And two things are about to happen. We're about to enter into this time of invitation and consecration where we ask you that the Lord is speaking to you, that you do whatever he tells you to do, and we're going to have just a, a moment of, of invitation. And then we are going to have a moment where we then begin to um, go into communion, have a moment where we celebrate this ordinance of communion. And let me say this again, what we're not doing, this is not a dead ritual that we come to and just, just celebrate as if it means Nothing. This is a celebration that we are celebrating the, the death and the life of Christ for us. And we'll explain that in just a minute. So two things are about to happen. So it begins with first, what is God telling you to do in this moment? And second of all, how are we going to honor Christ in this moment with communion? So let's, let's pray. Father, we just look to you again in the midst of your love and grace for us. 
God, the reality is this is a, a heavy word, but oh, what a word of grace and mercy and love this is. That you have made a way for us. God, we take that for granted so often. And the reality is that we need to come face to face with this morning is that you, God, would have been justified just to let us die in our sin. You would have been justified, God, to do that. But you didn't. Because of your grace and your mercy, you pursued us. And you didn't just pursue us and say, do this and do that and do this. And then you can come to me. No, God, you sent your son who hung on a cross and said, it is finished. Therefore, we have nothing left to do. Everything that is needed for our salvation has been done. God, help us not to miss that reality today. Lord, I just pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Today would be the day that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. God, I also pray that for those that are in this room, God, who have, who have let the thoughts and opinions and beliefs of this world system um, rub off on them, where they begin to think that it's intolerant to hear words that Jesus said here in this moment. There must be other ways. God, I just pray today that you would bring them in line with your truth that they would understand today in a fresh and anew that these are not just claims of, of mere humans. This is the, the claim of the divine Son of God. He laid down His life. He took it up again so that He could be the way to the Father for everyone who believes. That is who we're celebrating. Help us to continue to celebrate well the next few moments, God. In Jesus' name, amen.